Philippians chapter 2, and um, I was just thinking about D.L. Moody's life. How many know DL, who D.L. Moody was? He was the great evangelist. He started off in life as just a guy with really no education, um, really not going anywhere. He was a salesman, a shoe salesman, and just maybe like a typical hardworking man at that time. And uh, he and a, a bunch of his friends got together to uh, go and pray. They just went and had some time of prayer in the field, just got together and prayed and just began to seek God's face. And one of his friends made a statement that just impacted D.L. Moody for the rest of his life. And I wanted to talk about that this morning a little bit about this subject of surrender. And this young man said to um, D.L. Moody, he said, God has, the world has yet to see what a man fully surrendered to God and what God will do with him through and for and in that kind of a man. And by God's grace, I want to be that man. I was just thinking about that this morning that, you know, we may be individuals that don't feel that we are like something very special in this world. Maybe we're not super talented, but we have this sense that God has a plan for us. And I think that when we think about God's plan, we can be so uh, stirred by a vision in our life that God has a plan for us because that's our compass, isn't it? The compass of God in our life is his plan. And sometimes when we get a little lost in life, we start to wander a little bit. We start wondering what's happening. We can always revert back to that compass. I don't know if you've ever been in, a, in the woods or uh, in the forest and you have a compass. And that compass is something that whenever we get a little lost in our mind and our thinking, we can go back to that compass that always points to God's love. God's love towards us. And I think that, you know, the world that we live in, especially the Christian realm, and I can really see it here in this state and in this part of the United States where, you know, Christianity is pretty well off, isn't it? I mean, we got the Christian life is a good life here, isn't it? I mean, you go to, you go to the average church here and you just look around and you're just amazed, like, whoa, life is good here. I mean, there's some parts of the world where, Christians are losing their heads. And I don't say that we should feel guilty that things are going well for Christianity here. I mean, it's amazing to see what God's done in, historically in Texas. We were in Austin, and we were looking at the Capitol building there. And it was just amazing to see the health and the vitality of Christianity in this state. And I just think that down the road, what is really in my heart, what I'm very passionate about, is I'd like to see young people just get raised up in a calling to reach out and to impact not only their neighborhoods, but the world that they live in. And we already started planning a summer trip next summer. And I want to just take a group of Texans with me. That would be so awesome to take you guys overseas. Um, you'll just see a, a part of the world that you've never seen before, and it'll change your life. It really will. And I know a lot will come against that kind of a trip so that you never take it. But I just want to say that uh, my desire is to really see God just 
get a hold of young people. And when, when we could say, like D.L. Moody, say, God, I am not going, I don't know where I'm going in my life. And life can go either direction. But one thing I want to do is, is I want to just wholly consecrate my life to you. And I want to see you lead me. And in Philippians chapter 2, it when we talk about surrender, we could always we could be a little bit like, well, you know, we could have a lot of different thoughts about surrendering to God. You know, when we sang that song today, all to thee, I, I surrender, all to thee, I freely give. When we think about surrender, we, we, maybe we think about that one church meeting that we go to where, you know, they call everyone up front and everyone surrenders their life to God. It's like a one-time thing. But when we think about surrender, surrender is not something that happens once in a lifetime. But because surrender is something that is, takes a lifetime to do, it's something that happens every day. It's something that is a daily thing. And I want to just start with that. That The first quote, William Booth, who was the founder of the uh, Salvation Army, um, said this, the, great men, the greatness, I think it's the next one, the greatness of the man's power is the measure of his surrender. You know, when you think of William Booth, this guy, what he did was he started the Salvation Army, and this was a, this was not just initially a humanitarian operation. It was something that was um, created for discipleship, to disciple young men and women in in Christ. And his thought and his understanding of being a influential person was a person that learned how to surrender to God. I think that when we learn that fact of surrender to God, that's when our life really begins to impact people. Um, the second quote, I've already read it by D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do and for and through and in a man who is wholly consecrated to him. And by God's grace, I want to be that man. D.L. Moody went on to be a great evangelist. He started a Bible college and started the United States' uh, first uh, successful Sunday school operation. This man was used by God in a great, great way. Another great quote, and I like quotes. I think about quotes a lot. Um, and this is by Hudson Taylor. The, uh, secret discontentment can be traced back to a lack of surrender. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He tried to go to other places Young man, but God led him to China, and he began the China Inland Missions. Uh, he was told by many older missionaries, when I was young, your age, I used to think like you, but when you become older, you'll become wise, and you won't be taking such radical steps of faith in your life. Hudson Taylor understood that sometimes when we experience that inner discontentment, and do you know what I'm talking about, that inner discontentment? I think... Men can experience that, especially because we were made to be engaged in God's call, to be busy about God's business. And I think that there's a measure of discontentment that we can experience as a man if we have not fully surrendered to God. Sometimes we look at, uh, we look at our circumstances and we say, well, if my circumstances were different, I would be happy. And if I was like them or like them, I would be happy. But really, discontentment happens on the inside and has nothing to do with the externals, really. Discontentment has nothing to do with externals. Uh, another quote that I like by E.W. Tozier, he was a great writer. Um, he said that the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making uh, little 
forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. And I think it was sick. I was driving home last night and, you know, I think one of the biggest things that God has to deal with in our life is our own energy for God. You ever have this energy like, God, I'll do this. Hey, leave it to me. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God, I am going to give the orders. And I think that many times when we are thinking in that realm, there's like a unrest and there is a battle inside. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 42, he prays this prayer, Oh, my Father, this cup, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. We even see Jesus in his humanity, which is one of the most mysterious verses. You think, here's Jesus, here's God. He is full of just power and just um, miracles, and he's son, the Son of God. And here he is in his humanity saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may pass from me. And we wonder, like, is, was Jesus doubting what God was doing? Was Jesus in a place where he was thinking twice about the will of God? Was he going to go through this? And I think that God gives us a glimpse of Jesus' humanity where Jesus says, Oh, my Father. Even Jesus says, if this may pass from me. Because he's just moments away, just a few, several hours before he gets crucified. And he takes upon himself the whole the sins of all the world. And he is there and he is thinking, God, if this may pass from me, let it pass from me. But not my will, but, by, but thine be done. And when we think about surrender, Jesus at that moment, what was, the greatest, what was the greatest struggle at the cross? Was it at the cross or was it at the Garden of Gethsemane? I think it was at the Garden. That was the big battle. That was the big battle. And so God accomplishes our surrender. And I want to just give an, I want to give an illustration. And there's a soccer ball back there. Can you bring that up? And a cup. And I want to do like a little illustration that I did overseas. And I got this idea. I was at the Lions house. We were playing around with something. And Michael will remember this. And there's a cup too. A cup. Okay. So Michael, can I borrow you for a second? I need, I, need a, I need another hand, a big hand. So, when we look at this ball, we think about, let's start with this, though, first of all. When we think about these objects, we think about how we hold on to things in our life, right? Yeah. So when you look at this Christmas cup, <laughs> Christmas in July, in August, we think about how we hold on to things in our life, right? Important things, like I like coffee cups, I'm a coffee cup person, and I don't like this cup, but anyway. When we think about things that we hold on to, whose cup is it? Wants the hotel. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Okay. I don't want to offend anybody. No. So if you try to pull this, it's not going to really go anywhere, right? Oh, Come on, do it. Uh, football player there. <laughs> what position do you play? Receiver. Receiver, okay. Receivers can't pull cups out. So, <laughs> so this is like some, like he's God, right? And sometimes I have something in my life, you know, I'm holding on to, right? And I'm really like, this is mine. I earned this. I love this. This is my, really what I want to have in my life. And, God says, let me put my hand on that. God puts his hand on it, and he's pulling a little bit. But because we have a free will, he's like, you know, he's not going to rip it out of our hands. And so this can be sometimes, you can let go now, God. (laughs) Sometimes we hold on to things like this in our life. This can be anything like anything from A to Z in our life, even the things that we do for God. 
And this can be actually my, actually this could even be my expectations, like what I want God to do in Texas. I want a big church, you know. Some pastors can be like that. But then here is like when we are living a surrendered life, we are living a life where we say, God, thy will be done. Then when we have, we hold on to things a different way. We're not holding on to it like this, where we have a full grip. But we're holding on to it like this. So grab this and pull. So I can't really hold on to it, right? And I mean, even the least, even the least little pull, can, we can take, he, God can take it out of my hand and I can take it out of God's hand. It's like, that's the way God wants us to hold on to things. The only reason why he's pulling that out of my hand is because I injured my wrist. <laughs> Let's try that again. All right. So God and I are fighting over the ball. Thanks, Michael. So that's the way we want to hold on to things in our life. We want to hold on to things in such a way that if God wants to remove it, I'm not so attached to it that I'm fighting for it in my life. That's just, that means surrender. That is just surrender. And when we think about surrender, sometimes we think, okay, I can't surrender. I can't do this myself. I want to surrender. I don't know how to surrender. But that's why we like this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which says, For it is God who is, and I'm going to read this to you in the Amplified Bible, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectively at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to do of his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. I like that verse because what that says is, it says that God is going to work in us the desire to do his will. You ever talk to somebody and say, you know what, I can't surrender to God's will, I don't want to do it. I don't know if I want to do this, or I don't know if I can do this. But you know what's really beautiful is that God works in us the desire to do his will. It's not about us being so powerful in God that we're doing God's will, but it's God's working in us the desire to do his will. And that's why I think that sometimes when we are struggling with surrender in our life, we can say, God, I have no desire. I have no direction. I don't know if I want to do this. But God, I'm here just to be available to you. And if you work in me the desire and the, and the will to do it, I will do it. And so God, does not, God doesn't ask us to uh, perfectly surrender in our strength. Because you know the next verse in verse 14, and sometimes we read this verse and we wonder, how does that relate to the previous verse? Do all things without complaining and disputing. And in King James, I think it says murmuring. It's like, what does that have to do with the previous verse? Well, because when we live that life where we are allowing God to work in us the desire to do his will and a desire for his plan, then we're not living a life of complaining and murmuring. We're not living a discontented life. I think murmuring and complaining is just a sign that there's something that's not surrendered in my life to God. And it hasn't been left at the cross with God. So it's really the power of God that works in us that brings us to that place of surrender. And I like that prayer. God, if you want something to happen in my life, if you want some conversion in my life, I want to ask you that you would work that in my life. Because Christianity is not about us trying to be better through willpower. Christianity is just about surrendering to God and just saying, God, okay, I surrender. And many times... God has to orchestrate circumstances where we're at a place where we have nowhere to go but to surrender to God. I mean, there's two ways of God's plan can be done in your life. 
voluntarily, where I say, Lord, here am I, send me, I surrender. Or most of the time, this is the way it happens involuntarily. Circumstances and things begin to happen where God begins to narrow our options. And we find ourselves like John the Baptist in jail with only one way to look up. God begins to narrow our options because the life of surrender is a more powerful and more influential life. There's four reasons why people don't surrender or four things that can hinder our, 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 uh, our surrender. Number one, fear. When you just hear about surrendering to God, the first response many times in our flesh is, I am afraid. Where is this going to lead me? If I surrender to God, am I going to become some poor person somewhere with no career and just living with nothing? I remember being a teenager in my church and seeing missionaries come home from the mission field. And I just remember thinking, these guys don't have any money. They don't have any career. And they're just living on a shoestring. And I thought, I don't know if that's for me, you know. And, and it wasn't until I began to understand the life of God that there is no fear. And number two, offense, getting offended. John chapter 6, Jesus said, uh, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me. And Jesus was saying, like, unless you surrender to my life, then you have no part in my life. And a lot of people got offended. Sometimes we look at the life of surrender and we just get offended. We're like, wow, I don't want to be, that's offensive to me. That's like, that offends my personal potential. That offends my future. That offends my emotions. I'm offended. Uh, number three, sometimes people say, I have too much to lose. And that's Mark nineteen seventeen. Remember the rich young ruler? He said, uh, Jesus confronted him. And it wasn't, that, it wasn't bad that this rich young ruler had riches and he had youth. That was not the bad part. The bad part was that he loved it more than he loved God. He loved it more than Jesus Christ. And he loved it more than following Christ. And that's the third thing that we sometimes face. We're like, I can't accomplish this because I'm, I have too much to lose. And then lastly, in Joshua 24, where the Israelites said, we will serve the Lord. This is the fourth thing. This is... This blocks surrender in our life, our own energy for God. So I just want to kind of give you in a practical way what it means like to surrender to God and how we do that. And I think there's just three things when I think about surrender. Um, I think about three things. Number one, surrender is just realizing that we're already bought with a price. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. That we're, that we're bought with a price. That we're already bought. Like Jesus bought us with his own blood. And we're bought with a price that we are not our own. And I like to think about that sometimes in my life when I'm facing decisions about my future and my life. Is that, is my life really my own life to make my own decisions, to be calling my own shots? Number two, surrender means I'm not choosing I'm not choosing, but God is choosing for me. Remember Abraham and Lot? I remember going to a Baptist church when I was a kid, and I remember hearing this story all the time. Abraham and Lot, Abraham and Lot. Abraham let God choose for him. And it always stuck with me that, you know, the life that Abraham lived was so much better than Lot's life because he allowed God to choose for him. That's what surrender means. It means that I'm not choosing, but I'm allowing God to choose my friends 
I'm allowing God to choose my career. I'm allowing God to choose who I marry. I'm allowing God to choose my future decisions. I'm allowing God to choose my geography in my life. You know, that kind of life is so exciting. And that's such an amazing life. You know, when I was, when my wife and I were, you know, when we were dating, um, it was such an interesting thing because uh, we started dating when I was in Poland as a missionary there. And then we got engaged. And then three days later, she moved to Baltimore to go to Bible college. And I moved to Ukraine to do a church plant there. We kind of went in two different directions. It was right after we got engaged. And, you know, we didn't see each other for several months. And we were engaged. And I remember thinking, God, okay, it was your will for me to go to Ukraine. And my wife's, my future wife is in Baltimore and this is such an interesting scenario. But God, I'm going to surrender to your will. And I remember God blessing our relationship. And I remember how that turned out. It was such an irrational thing to do by sight. Because when you get engaged, you're thinking, well, maybe we spend more time together. We should uh, do things together. We should kind of bond. But in this case, God's plan was totally the opposite, was to- totally the opposite of rational thinking. And I remember that that added, you know what that did for us in our relationship, premarital relationship? It added a foundation where missions and God's plan was always something that was on the forefront. Because the way you start something is usually going to be the way that it continues. The way we start things in our life is the way it's going to continue. And so when we surrender, we're going to discover that there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of stress that is eradicated when we surrender the battle inside our soul, uh, when we've bowed before the Creator in full submission, that battle's over. How many times have you and I had battles with the Lord and then we just say, God, okay, I surrender. I just surrender my, my expectations. I surrender my, my energy. I surrender this temptation to you, God. And, you know, when we submit to God, that's what it means in James. When James says, submit to God and the devil will flee from you. When we surrender, the devil flees from us. The devil wants us to take up arms against him and to fight with biblical knowledge. A lot of us have a lot of Bible verses that we know about, you know, from the Bible, don't we? We have a lot of information about God. And I think that sometimes when we use that to try to fight the devil in our own strength, that can be such... When we, it's like the devil wants to draw you out into battle against him because he knows he's going he's gonna to beat you. And this is what Jesus, this is what the devil tried to do with Jesus in the wilderness, remember? The devil starts a conversation with Jesus and he says, and he's tempting the Jesus and tempting Jesus in four or five major ways. How was Jesus' response each time? Remember what it was? How did Jesus respond to the devil in Matthew chapter 4 in the, in the wilderness? It is written. It is written, right? He kept saying that. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus was not, even as the Son of God in his humanity, wasn't going out to fight the devil on his own. He was using the word. And whenever the devil comes into our life and he's offering us independence outside of the plan of God, we just refer back to Scripture. Remember Eve at the garden? What was her problem? Her problem was that she thought that she could deal with the devil intellectually without Scripture. And no one, none of us, if Adam and Eve weren't able to do it, then we absolutely certainly are not able to do it. What is the greatest temptation in our life? That is to function in our life 
independent from God. It's not the big top ten sins that everyone talks about in churches, you know, that this sin, that sin. The biggest sin really in the Bible is pride. And pride is functioning outside of just dependency on God. And sometimes we can see this happen in people's lives where God is just narrowing their, their options. And you look at it and you almost can't say anything to them because you know that God's working in their life, narrowing their options. And then they're just looking up to God and finally God gets a hold of them. And this is what God wants. Why? Because surrender, when we surrender to God, God is not a power-hungry God that he has to have everyone submit to him. Sometimes when we talk about you know, surrender, people say, well, what's God, a narcissistic God that he wants everybody to surrender to him and so he can feel powerful and we can all be just his subjects? No, that's not the way God thinks. Because God has something... His plan for us is so much better than our own plan. And our plan, because we're finite creatures, we can only see just a, a, a fraction of what's best for us. A lot of times we think we know what's best for ourselves, but we don't even know what is best for us. Even when something looks amazing, we have to go to God and say, God, is this you or is this me? And we just put it on the table. We give God the veto, the veto rights. Um, I want to end with this practical point. And this is just something heart to heart with you guys, you know, in what we do in our ministry. Because I know that during the week we're talking to people, we're sharing our faith with people, um, you know, we're ministering here, we minister to each other, and... Driving home last night, thinking about this, I remember as a, as a young person being in a, in a church in Massachusetts and in Maine, and I just remember, like, as a young person, just experiencing the power of God, seeing God's power. And, you know, when... And that was because we were in a church where there were people that had fully surrendered to God, and God was moving when we live in surrender, that is when we discover the anointing in our life. Does everybody know what the anointing means? What that means, that word anointing? Anointing means when it, it was basically something that was oil that was put on an object that made that object consecrated and only designated for God's use. Meaning it couldn't be used for anything else. Like an anointed cup could not be taken out of the tabernacle and used in somebody's house for their you know, for their own family. It was dedicated only for God's use. And when we surrender to God, then we're going to discover there's an anointing in our life. There's that connection. You ever talk to somebody and you just can sense God's presence in their life? You're like, wow, this person is a powerful person. This person knows God. This person is such a pleasure to be with. When they speak to me, they're really speaking to the in, inner man and not just the social man, you know, a surrendered life is an anointed life. And in, in Isaiah chapter 10, the anointing is what breaks the yoke. It means that, what that means is, is that when an oxen or cattle were going to be pulling a big load, the, uh, the owners would put a lot of oil and this slippery substance between the yoke around the neck and the shoulder of the animal. So that when the animal was pulling the load, there wasn't that friction where it was tearing up his skin. That is called the anointing or the oil or this 
kind of like a cream type of substance that was put between that uh, wooden yoke around. Next time you see a cattle or, a, you know, like uh, an oxen that are pulling a load, you can see that um, metal, uh, not metal, that wooden um, uh, yoke around them and that there there should be some kind of a uh, slippery substance here so that it's not ripping up the skin and the fur of the animal. And when the Bible talks about the anointing breaking the yoke, basically it just means that, that the yoke has no longer this grip tearing the skin. And I think that when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, this is what he was referring to. He was referring to the load that we pull as Christians. You know, we pull loads. I mean, you know, in your family, when you have trouble in your family, spiritual trouble, you're pulling a load, aren't you? There's that weight, isn't there? You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> There's a weight there. You know, and you're pulling that weight. And you're like, oh, man, this is tearing me up. This is tearing my shoulders up. I don't know if I can bear this weight. But when there is something there between you and the burden that is making the burden light, then that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus, say, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is my burden is light, my yoke is easy. And Jesus was saying that, you know, when you look at two oxen and they're pulling a load, uh, they very often they would put a more powerful um, oxen, or whatever you call that, bull or whatever, next to a weaker one. And that would be the one that was pulling all the weight. This is what Jesus was talking about. That Jesus is saying, I am pulling the weight. You're just attached to me. You're just connected with me. And you know, when we are surrendered to Christ, and when we're surrendered to God's grace, when we're surrendered to God's mind, and we're, we're in the Word, then there's going to be an anointing in your life, and that there's going to be a power in your life that when we worship, there's power, and there's an anointing, there's that sense of God's presence. Like, for me, Christianity can become very social, and it can be lots of programs and a lot of activity for kids and a lot of this and a lot of that. But what I really, what we all desire as, as spiritual people, as spiritual beings, is that we want that, that sense of God's presence that we experience when we're together. Like when we worship this morning, like God's presence is here. You know, and like when the worship leaders and when the guy who's speaking and when the people that are setting up the chairs, whatever we're doing in the church is surrendered to God. When we're surrendered to God, then there is a flow in our life. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not hard. It's not like, oh, I got to do that. I got to go and preach now. This is such a burden. And I think that some pastors, I know I heard one story where a pastor was like, he was just, he says, he was out Monday morning playing golf and he was with some buddies and they started talking about the church. And the guy, the pastor said, hey, let's not talk shop right now. It's like, what, what are you talking shop? This is like, you know, this is, this is like fun, you know, this is exciting, I love this, you know, this is my life. And, and, and like when we are surrendered to God and surrendered to Christ in the body of Christ, then it's like there's a flow in my life and there's a flow in our life and it's not heavy, it's not hard. I remember somebody asking me, I said to them, I was a pastor and they were like, oh, I feel so bad for you, I'm sorry that you have to do that. I'm sorry that that's your career in your life. That's so hard to do, you know so hard to work with people. And I said, no, I love doing this. This is my joy. And so I want to finish with this, is that surrender leads to prayer, and prayer leads to more surrender. 
And surrender ushers an anointing into your life, a power that can't be contended with by the devil. When you have the anointing of God in your life, and when you hear that word anointing, it just means the presence of God. It's not some weird word. It just means that God's presence is in your life. And when you're by yourself, I remember walking home many times from high school. I had to take night classes in high school. Walking home by myself, just an evening, I just remember feeling, sensing the presence of God on, on me. Thinking, like, you know, I, don't, I was 17. I was like, I don't know what this means. Like, you know, I, I knew, I had this sense that God has a future for me. And when we surrender to that, and we just say, God, what is your will? What is your way? Then the battle ends. The discontentment goes away. And there's that quiet joy. I want to finish with this quote by Amy Carmichael. How many of you have heard of our Amy Carmichael? Amazing, amazing woman. She was a missionary in India for many years, um, had an injury in her feet that caused it that she couldn't walk. She was bedridden much of her time in India. But that was her most fruitful time. And she talks a lot about surrender. And she said, she said these words, I wish thy way, but when in me myself would rise and long for something otherwise, then holy one take sword and spear and slay. That's some pretty heavy-duty words. She was pretty serious. She was saying, I want your way, but when myself rises up, then just cut it down. And when we do that, when we surrender to Christ, and there's that sweet communion with God, and there's power in our life, there's power in our prayers. When we say something, it sticks with people. And that's the kind of ministry, that's the kind of church that we desire to have here as an anointed church. Not another social mega church, big church, which, which feels like you're just going to a mall. I'm not criticizing churches, but sometimes we go to a church and I feel like, you know, you talk to people, you're excited to be there, and you want to talk to people about Christ, and then it's like, what's God's doing in your life? And they're just more occupied with Monday. What's going to happen on Monday? You know, kids going to school, and I got to do this, I got to do that. And, and it's like, like, can we just have this inner connection about what God is doing in your life and in my life. How can I pray for you? Are you going through anything? And I just think that in some parts, in some places, there are people that are behind closed doors that may have a lot going on in their life, great stuff, but are very burdened, very burdened people. And these are the people that Jesus sought out. There's a woman that we know in Baltimore uh, she was married to one of the richest men in the United States. Uh, he was a banker, and they just had the life. They lived in Chicago. They were just, they had the life. It was an amazing life um, in the world, in the eyes of the world. And he left her for his secretary. And the funny thing is, the secretary looked exactly like her. <laughs> that was so funny. But he left her, and she was so devastated and uh, she came to Baltimore and became good friends with my wife and I. And she said to my wife something very interesting. She goes, you know, we live the amazing life, but, you know, as very wealthy people, we, we never talked about this, but we all understood this, that there was a lot of crazy things going on behind closed doors. You look at these homes and these beautiful places in Chicago where people are making oodles of money. And behind those closed doors, there was a lot going on that people weren't talking about. People have burdens. And when we live in an anointing, 
then we can reach these people. We were in Austin yesterday, and I was thinking it'd be great maybe to do a Bible study there sometime in the future, maybe once a month or something. You know, these are really troubled people. When we have an anointing in our life, our worship, our words, our outreach, just in our prayer really has an impact in people's life because that's when God is set free. And that's when God is free to minister to people. And it's not me trying to carry my life, but it's God leading us and guiding us and really making the difference. Amen? So um, let's just close in prayer. And do you have a special song you said? Okay. Father, we just thank you, God, for the fact that we can just surrender to you and just say, God, Lord, have your way. And maybe this morning with our our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, maybe there's something that we just have been unconsciously struggling with, maybe an expectation or we're entertaining a thought or we are living in fear and we just don't want to surrender to God in an area. Just say, God, have your way. I'm just surrendering it to you. I'm not going to fight that anymore. I just want your way. I want your peace. And I want your, your joy. And just this morning with God, let's just do that business with God and surrender it to God and say, God, this is yours. I can't carry it. I can't handle it. I just want to give it to you. And I'm not going to live in fear about the future. I'm not going to live in fear about the consequences. I'm not going to live in fear about what you want to do. And I'm not going to try to do it myself. I just give it to God. And you know what will happen? God will take it and he'll replace it with peace. Maybe we're worried about people. Maybe we're worried about our job. Maybe we're worried about our finances or our family or our future or what we're doing. We just say, God, it's all yours. Or we're not going to worry. Because worry is, what, is just a result of what happens when we try to live our lives ourselves outside of the grace of God. And so, Lord, just we pray you bless each family here. Those that are not with us, Lord, bless them. And we just thank you, God, for this time together. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.